I'm author and athlete Brad Kearns. Welcome to the Be Rad Podcast, where we explore ways to pursue peak performance with passion throughout life. Visit bradkearns.com for great resources on healthy eating, exercise, and lifestyle. And here we go with the show. I could be uh, accused of harboring a, uh, a rigid and dated mentality about avoiding outside interventions, uh, but I am going to call bullshit on the increased fascination with substances and prescriptions and new research about whatever it is. Metformin is showing uh, promise for longevity, and then it's not showing promise and showing some adverse side effects. I want you to exhaust all possible natural strategies before you even form the thought of bringing in outside intervention into your physiology. But when that day comes, when I'm doing everything that I possibly can and my blood numbers are not looking good, that's when we're gonna sit down and make another video and I'll tell you all about the interventions that I'm choosing. I want to discuss the incredible benefits of red light therapy and how you can get started with Mito Red Light. Mito, like mitochondria, red light makes the premier light therapy devices in the world and at incredibly affordable prices. I stand in front of my Mito Pro 1500 unit every morning, carefully exposing my eyeballs, other important balls, and my entire body to special wavelengths of red and near infrared for red light. When I tell people about my daily devotion to red light therapy, they typically ask, does this stuff really work? And the answer is yes. And there are thousands of studies supporting its effectiveness. Here's how. It's called photobiomodulation where specific wavelengths of red and near-infrared light, red's visible, near-infrared is not visible, that's why it looks like only half of your panel's working, these wavelengths help mitochondria in cells throughout your body produce more energy and clear waste products more efficiently. Red light exposure helps mobilize nitric oxide trapped in the mitochondria and allows oxygen to return to the cell and increase ATP production. The benefits are proven again and again for skin health, muscle recovery, joint pain, and numerous inflammatory conditions. Red light therapy is also beneficial for circadian rhythm alignment because we generally get far too little direct sunlight and too much indoor blue light from screens and light bulbs at the wrong times. You don't hear much about this benefit of red light therapy, but when I turn on those lights, first thing in the morning. As soon as I wake up, I walk across the hall, I stand in front of the panels, and I feel instantly awake and energized. And believe me, there's a lot of days where Mr. Health Guy here wakes up feeling a little groggy and a little whiny, like I don't want to right get up now and get into my morning exercise routine. But when I stand in front of the lights, in one minute, I swear I feel wide awake. I get all that grogginess out naturally. It's super powerful, super effective, besides all the healing and the cellular benefits. I also love it for being a natural wake-up machine. You have to try red light therapy. I am certain that you will become a devoted user. And guess what? Mito Red Light offers a 60-day no-risk trial period and a special 5% discount for B-Rad podcast listeners. Just visit mitoredlight, M-I-T-O, redlight.com, and use the code BRAD on any of their products. Go for it today and get started on your red light journey. 
Okay, it's time for more, more, more commentary on the hot topic of performance-enhancing drugs, testosterone replacement therapy, doping, cheating, optimizing. I don't think the liver king steroid scandal is going to go away anytime soon, and it brings this topic into prominence. I have a lot of strong feelings about it due to my history in the endurance sports and the cloud that hangs over uh, the highest level of Olympic international elite sports when it comes to the advantages provided by performance enhancing drugs and also have a lot of strong feelings about it because here in my advanced age group with my athletic goals and my desire to live a healthy, fit, energetic, athletic, long lifestyle, uh, the topic comes into play because testosterone replacement therapy, TRT, is becoming ever more popular, especially for males in my age group. So at this time, I'm clinging to my purist mentality that I have carried with me my whole life, especially dating back to my days as a professional triathlete, where of course I had the high moral ground where I wanted to compete fairly. I also had the assumption, the strong belief that my peers, my competitors, were largely competing in a very clean sport. That uh, assumption was proved wrong in a minor way where I think there was some abuse and some cheaters, but for the most part, most of the great athletes I strongly believe were clean. Also, I competed before the era of the red blood cell enhancing drug EPO, which came about to prominence in the late 90s. I quit racing in 1995, and that uh, really blew the lid off of endurance sports in particular because of the huge, profound advantage provided when you use the red blood cell boosting drug. It's like the effect you get training at high altitude. It is known to deliver a 6% performance advantage in endurance sports. So if I go over here off camera to my file cabinet and pull out my folder full of triathlon race results and take 6% off of my times in the 130 races that I competed in over a decade on the pro circuit, I pretty much would have won every single race easily, taken a shower, and come back to shake the hand of the runner-up. So it would have blown the lid off of uh, my standing there uh, in the professional circuit and made a farce of it. And so now what we see in endurance sports is widespread use of EPO and the other performance-enhancing drugs that uh, the athletes are using, or these athletes are not competing. And this tremendous uh, conundrum that the athletes face these days was beautifully characterized in tell-all books, such as especially Tyler Hamilton's book called The Secret Race, written with Daniel Coyle, where he pretty much spilled the beans about what it was like to be a young, hard-driving athlete dreaming of competing as a pro cyclist and doing better and better at the local level and the national level in the U.S. and finally getting that contract and heading over to Europe and getting his ass kicked over and over here in the late 90s when the rise to prominence came of EPO. Um, one of the chapter titles was A Thousand Days, and he titled it that because that's about how long you can last. That's about three years uh, getting your ass kicked and being a mid-level player until you're finally spit out the back and sent home. So the athlete in a drug a drug-laden professional sport is really faced with three choices, and that is to join the crowd and go on to a doping regimen so that you can compete 
on a level playing field. The other choice is to go home with your morality intact and knowing that you didn't want to, uh, to, to play under those circumstances. And then the third choice is to continue getting your ass kicked, perhaps whining and complaining about it, but that's not a very appealing choice. None of the three are really that appealing. And boy, when Tyler poured his heart and soul out into that book, talking about the times when uh, the doping testers would arrive at his home by surprise, and he and his ex-wife had to hit the deck and lay still on their kitchen floor for 30 minutes until they rang the doorbell a few times and then put the note saying, uh, we're coming back tomorrow. Uh, I'm, I'm informing you that uh, athletes and in elite international sports are subject to uh, random, unannounced doping testing anytime, anyplace uh, throughout the year. And this is a good way to catch people who are in their uh, training phases, not yet competing, doping their asses off, and then getting clean and showing up <laughs> at the Olympics and kicking ass. So now athletes are tested year round with minimal warning. And if you miss a couple tests, you obtain a suspension, just like someone who tests positive. And there were some prominent cases recently. The world champion sprinter, Christian Coleman, had a two-year ban because his whereabouts were unknown or he didn't sync with the testing, uh, I believe, two or three times, which uh, creates a suspicion of guilt. But it's also um, these logistics, the stuff you heard about in my uh, podcast with Shelby Houlihan, who had a very controversial positive doping test and is now serving a four-year ban, one of the great female runners in the world, uh, American record holder, really sad and uh, a tough circumstance to learn about these nuances. But anyway, the athletes are subject to a lot of testing. And so Tyler would describe like finishing a bike ride and uh, going over the fence, going sneaking through the neighbor's yard, uh, entering through his basement and then coming into his house that way in the odd chance that the doping testers were at his front door during a period of time when he knew he would test positive. They called it radioactive uh, because they were microdosing drugs like EPO. So it would have a very short period of time where you would test positive and then the drug would run its course and you would be able to test cleanly, for example, the next morning. So they lay on their kitchen floor for a half an hour, uh, get the doorbell the next morning, deliver the urine sample and go on his merry way uh, training and optimizing his blood values. So that was a big deal that I uh, fortunately skipped that era of professional sports because, again, those three choices are uh, really disturbing and unfortunate. But speaking of that and the incredible misperception that the public has about doping in sports, I think it's important to uh, deliver my point of view and kind of uh, set things straight because basically what we're seeing with mainstream media and the sensationalization of the issue is that these horrible performance enhancing drugs are so dangerous for your health and what a bad message to send to the, the young athletes. And then secondly, that these disgraceful people who are caught are big time cheaters. And Lance is a, 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 you know, a, the most prominent example of cheating everyone out and, and letting down all the poor little uh, children that looked up to him that were suffering from cancer. And again, we have to understand the perspective that once these sports become laden with performance enhancing drugs, the athlete is pretty much compelled to look at one of those three doors on let's make a deal and pretty much uh, you're obligated or compelled to get on your own program so that you compete. Otherwise, we would never hear of the person's name, such as Lance Armstrong. And unfortunately, my favorite uh, soundbite to offer about Lance is that 
the doping in professional cycling probably harmed him more than any other athlete because what happens with doping is you are bringing your genetic disadvantages up to a more level playing field with the very most genetically talented and genetically gifted athlete. And that was absolutely, positively, definitely Lance Armstrong. He was a professional triathlete racing on the circuit at age 15, doing extraordinary performances and uh, incredible genetic gifts. And so you close that gap between the genetic freak, for example, that you see in the locker room. I mentioned this on Mark Bell's Power Project podcast go down to Grant High School powerhouse team in the uh, Sacramento area and look at these 67 young men. And three of them are ripped as hell with barely touching weights because of their genetic attributes. And then as you get into collegiate level sports and the widespread use of steroids, especially at the professional level, NFL and the other strength and power sports, you're talking about guys who were skinny little freaks genetically and now they weigh 240 pounds at eight percent body fat so it's a way to kind of negate the genetic advantages and if i bring the example of lance he won the tour de france seven times in a row he was the best athlete they were all doping they were all pegging their hematocrit that's what the red blood cell count is they were all pegging that really high they were using testosterone to help recover faster not to get big muscles like a strength athlete but it helps tremendously for performance and recovery in whatever athletic endeavor you're doing. And so when you peg all these numbers, now the guys who were more fragile um, had a chance to come closer. So when he won the Tour de France by two minutes or five minutes or seven minutes, if the sport were completely clean, he might have won by 20 minutes. I want you to let that sink in for a bit when you think and you harbor these uh, beliefs that oh, what a disgraceful cheater Barry Bonds was or Mark McGuire. Well, Roger Clemens was associated strongly with doping also. So the guy throwing that heat in at 99 miles an hour was also enhanced. And so it kind of um, puts it in a more reasonable perspective than picking and choosing who are all the cheaters and then the people that say the right things to the media or somehow evade getting caught, uh, rise to a different stature. And that goes for Marion Jones, the disgraced female Olympic sprinter who had to turn in her gold medals and make her tearful confession uh, to the grand jury and to the public. Guess who she beat in second place, third place, fourth place, fifth place, sixth place, seventh place, and eighth place in the 2000 Olympics Sydney 100 meter final, 200 meter final. That's right. Athletes from all over the world who were very likely, almost certainly involved in doping programs. And if we want to cast some blame, we can blame the organizers of these major sports who have been shown to be reluctant to kick out athletes, for example, in their own countries, because we don't have that trust level that the Eastern Bloc nations, especially before the uh, the Eastern Bloc fell, it was clear that they were on systematic doping regimens. We didn't have concrete proof. These athletes would just come in and break world records. The females had tremendous amounts of muscle mass and were swimming and sprinting uh, faster than had ever been humanly possible. And so the USA was compelled to kind of, and, and the Western nations were compelled to kind of level the playing field. And now we seem to have uh, some great efforts going on in a lot of sports to clean them up and reduce the widespread rampant doping that occurred when the testing was behind schedule, behind the, the level of sophistication of the athletes. Uh, but it's still pretty much of a mess. And you can probably assume if you want to, if you have any suspicions that if certain athletes are using in certain sports, it's very likely pervasive. Uh, the NFL, especially when you look at the penalties 
and including the Major League Baseball that had to go through that major scandal, the penalties are still pretty minor in comparison to a sport like track and field, where an athlete gets one positive test, like Shelby Houlihan is looking at a four-year ban, missing the Olympics, losing all her contracts, all those kind of things. And the NFL, uh, the last time I checked, maybe my information is dated, but you know, you were suspended for six games or something like that. And uh, you were announced, they announced when the testing uh, would occur. So it's like, hey, on Monday, uh, set aside 2 p.m. to 2.30 because you're going to get dope tested and then the athlete can adjust accordingly. So I'm going off a little bit on the issue in elite professional sports, but I also want to talk about uh, the more uh, applicable issue to a widespread audience, which would be things like hormone replacement therapy, especially when you get up to uh, the advanced age groups. However, the hormone replacement therapy is now filtering down into males, even in their 20s and 30s, uh, especially 40s, 50s. Uh, a lot of people are turning that corner and going into chemical optimization uh, for performance, for body composition. And as Liver King shared with his confession, um, he was just trying to get uh, apparently to the next level from an already extremely high level that he had reached without performance enhancing drugs, but was complaining of some health consequences of his extreme regimen where he's known to be working out like a fiend, uh, eating with great uh, precision and restriction and suffering some uh, adverse blood values and uh, energy and performance consequences. So he kind of turned there uh, looking for an advantage and clearly went overboard uh, with all those other uh, factors in play that I talked about on the, uh, the the last commentary when I was specifically addressing his case. So um, back to my point of view that dates back to my time as an athlete, I wanted to uh, be completely free of any outside intervention because I wanted to feel the significance of my current state of readiness, recovery. And that was um, also including things like avoiding even caffeine, avoiding non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like Advil when I had a sore back or an aching knee. And so my belief was that if I didn't intervene, I could make the best decisions. I could rest and recover appropriately because I wasn't jacked up on caffeine, for example, to get out the door and go on a bike ride with three cups of coffee in me. Um, I thought that would be a better approach that would lead to long-term better development, better performance, as opposed to the short-term interventions provided by, let's say, dosing up on caffeine every time you have to work out or taking the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories to dull uh, to, to negate uh, an immediate uh, pain and suffering. And I still strongly believe that in every way that you want to have minimal intervention necessary and allow your body's natural healing processes to play out. So when I have a migraine headache, which I used to suffer from frequently before I changed my diet to the ancestral approach back in 2009, my technique was to go lay down in a dark room with an ice pack on my neck or take hot and cold shower sequence and then go down for a nap in a dark room. And there's nothing better than that unless you're a freaking astronaut or you're the host of the Today Show and you have to get there when the cameras turn on. I think most of us are trying to intervene and temporarily quell symptoms so that we can avoid pain and discomfort at the expense of our body's long-term ability to heal naturally. So the next time you have a sore knee or a sore back or a headache, 
consider what you're doing when you get that immediate relief from an outside substance, even something over the counter. And then, of course, when it comes to uh, the, the major chemical interventions, the overriding of the hormonal system with hormone replacement therapy, my belief system tells me that um, I'm going to have a, a better chance to do everything possible naturally and be able to sustain that for as long as possible. However, I am trying to maintain a more open mind about this. Uh, people that I respect have succeeded uh, tremendously for a long period of time using hormone replacement therapy. Mark Bell, Mark Sisson, both of them uh, freely uh, discussing and admitting to their use of uh, testosterone and other hormone replacements on a carefully controlled regimen. So I think we need to make that important point out of the gate now when we talk about the abuse of uh, performance-enhancing drugs versus a therapeutic regimen to optimize things like testosterone and other hormones in the body. So, duh, abuse of any drug is super dangerous. Those athletes that are trading in uh, long-term health consequences like damage to the liver or increased in risk of cancer and all these things that we hear about with steroid abuse and are scared the crap out of it because the congressman is uh, subpoenaing the baseball player and uh, telling him what a bad example they are for young athletes. Of course, that's true that abusing uh, the performance-enhancing drugs uh, is highly, highly sketch, right? You're going to get big, you're going to get strong, you're going to get fast, and of course, you're going to have a lot of risks and adverse health consequences. But optimizing is a whole different story. We have uh, fabulously trained doctors that are doing this every day, helping people live a better life with modern chemical intervention uh, with very minimal uh, uh, incidents or uh, evidence that you're going to have these terrible adverse side effects from, for example, taking a therapeutic dose of testosterone. I believe Mark Bell said he's been on, on the sauce for like 20 years. Mark Sisson's been on for uh, seven or eight years or something, uh, back when he did his first uh, blog post and interview uh, talking about his hormone replacement therapy regimen. And as a lot of the uh, Liver King criticizers are pointing out right now, hey man, it's no big deal. Just don't lie to people and uh, you know send that that message of uh, you know being deceptive as a public figure especially as a health promoter and other people are making this connection that he's claiming uh, that his physique is obtained by these liver pills that he's selling and that is a ridiculous uh, twisting uh, of logic and um, some pretty lame intuitive leaps that the user is going to make if you think that's what's going on here um, interestingly, Liver King never once pitched any of his products in any of his videos on his viral social media accounts. It's all about living uh, the nine ancestral tenets that he talks about, eating that raw liver, which he shows on a lot of the posts. But I never saw a bottle of pills to date on any of his uh, content. So his effort was to just promote healthy lifestyle to the broad audience and in the process lying about his uh, use of performance enhancing drugs, intervening and overriding, for example, the positive beneficial effects of living by the nine ancestral tenets. So of course, big mistake. He's paying the price. He's apologizing. He's going to recalibrate, regroup, and I'm sure we'll all get some positive benefit about it, especially um, just talking about the issue and bringing it to light. Okay. So um, my my aversion to outside intervention also includes uh, healing from 
uh, surgeries and major things like that. And that's where I found that fine line, that balance, because when I had uh, my emergency appendectomy and some complications afterward in the months afterward where I had to have three kidney surgeries, that was a rough time for me. I was trying to be a strong guy and avoid any uh, pain medication. But when the pain becomes so bad that it interferes with your ability to rest and recover, that's when even I will reach for the bottle and do whatever it takes to settle down and help to get through it. In contrast, for example, my heel surgery that I had uh, recently for a bone spur, not a major thing, not too painful, somewhat painful, uh, but the healing process that included uh, injections of platelet-rich plasma that's taking my own blood and spinning it and putting the platelets into the injured area to stimulate a healing response, it was super ass painful. And I was directed to not use ice and not use anti-inflammatory drugs during the recovery process in order to maximize the beneficial impact of the platelet-rich plasma into the area. So now the evolved thinkers on healing want you to experience that inflammation to the full extent. And I would argue the same thing goes when you're experiencing any kind of musculoskeletal joint pain. If that back or those knees are uh, burning, aching, creaking, you got to do something about it. There are ways to uh, jump into the world of physical therapy, performance, mobility, flexibility, rehab, do exercises, get more blood flow. Don't just sit around and rest. I was amused to hear um, uh, Tiger Woods' recent press conference where he had to pull out of the tournament due to plantar fasciitis, a condition I'm very familiar with out because I battled it on and off from moderate to severe for 15 years. And I finally cured it, as you can see from my YouTube video showing the stretches. And he said, uh, my foot, you know, I, I can hit great shots right now. I just can't walk the golf course. So I really need to stay off it. And Tiger, I'm telling you, if you're watching, if you just stop where you have an injury such as plantar fasciitis, it's going to get worse very likely because you start to atrophy, you decrease blood flow, you decrease mobility. So now as the great leaders in this space are conveying, uh, like the folks at PT Revolution in Lake Tahoe, who helped me so much through uh, recent injuries, and also uh, Kelly Starrett at thereadystate.com. We want to elevate, compress, and move our injuries to help support the healing. So with my heel surgery, I'm now doing the voodoo strap around my ankle and working the ankle through range of motion, doing gentle stretches, no more to a pain level of three or, or, or less. And I will continue to get more and more and more active rather than sit around with my foot uh, you know, at rest and then expecting to return to action after four months of atrophy. I want to discuss the incredible benefits of red light therapy and how you can get started with Mito Red Light. Mito, like mitochondria, red light makes the premier light therapy devices in the world and at incredibly affordable prices. I stand in front of my Mito Pro 1500 unit every morning, carefully exposing my eyeballs, other important balls, and my entire body to special wavelengths of red and near for red light. When I tell people about my daily devotion to red light therapy, they typically ask, does this stuff really work? And the answer is yes. And there are thousands of studies supporting its effectiveness. Here's how. It's called photobiomodulation. 
where specific wavelengths of red and near-infrared light, red's visible, near-infrared is not visible, that's why it looks like only half of your panel's working, these wavelengths help mitochondria in cells throughout your body produce more energy and clear waste products more efficiently. Red light exposure helps mobilize nitric oxide trapped in the mitochondria and allows oxygen to return to the cell and increase ATP production. The benefits are proven again and again for skin health, muscle recovery, joint pain, and numerous inflammatory conditions. Red light therapy is also beneficial for circadian rhythm alignment because we generally get far too little direct sunlight and too much indoor blue light from screens and light bulbs at the wrong times. You don't hear much about this benefit of red light therapy, but when I turn on those lights, first thing in the morning, as soon as I wake up, I walk across the hall, I stand in front of the panels, and I feel instantly awake and energized. And believe me, there's a lot of days where Mr. Health Guy here wakes up feeling a little groggy and a little whiny, like I don't want to right get up now and get into my morning exercise routine. But when I stand in front of the lights, in one minute, I swear I feel wide awake. I get all that grogginess out naturally. It's super powerful, super effective, besides all the healing and the cellular benefits. I also love it for being a natural wake-up machine. You have to try red light therapy. I am certain that you will become a devoted user. And guess what? Mito Red Light offers a 60-day no-risk trial period and a special 5% discount for B-Rad podcast listeners. Just visit Mito Red Light, M-I-T-O, redlight.com, and use the code BRAD on any of their products. Go for it today and get started on your red light journey. Okay, so, um, yeah, I could be uh, accused of harboring a, uh, a rigid and dated mentality about avoiding outside interventions. Uh, but I am going to call bullshit on the increased fascination with substances and prescriptions and new research about whatever it is. Metformin is showing uh, promise for longevity, and then it's not showing promise and showing some adverse side effects. But we get so excited about these uh, uh, possible scientific breakthroughs. That's what the drug uh, business is all about, is doing research and development and coming out with something that's going to help somebody. Uh, a lot of it's for you know the disease state and managing disease, and that's fine when you need an antibiotic or something of that nature. That's great, but the vast majority of the prescription drugs out there and the profits, the massive profits made from these prescription prescription drugs, as we know, comes from relief of symptoms without addressing the root cause. So enough of that mentality. I want to pursue the opposite mentality where I attack the cause with great devotion and try to get my body, for example, stronger and better balanced so that I don't grow another bone spur on my heel from pushing myself and pushing my calf muscles to the extent where uh, they got tight and less flexible and put more stress on the joint, okay? Um, that didn't, there was no call for uh, popping an Advil every time I'd head out to run. That just makes things worse, okay? So I'm gonna keep this rigid, and um, a conservative mentality for as long as possible, and then finally cave in. And when you need something, you need something, such as when I was recovering in severe pain from the surgeries and I couldn't sleep, that's when I'm going to reach for the, the, um, the, the supplement. Speaking of that, uh, the hormone replacement therapy, I'm maintaining an open mind. 
I'm realizing this argument that we naturally decline over time, and maybe we weren't meant to live this long. Uh, the evolutionary, uh, you know, model is that we live long enough to reproduce, and then we can be discarded and cast aside, and that uh, it might be something to smile about. But I think uh, the the point of continuing to evolve is to do better than uh, than our ancestors, and so this complete fascination, obsession with living life in the model of our ancestors, we do have to put that aside at times and pursue something that could be better. And so maybe be more active, powerful, energetic, uh, and, and, and muscular, and being able to recover and perform more so than my great, great, great grandfather, who perhaps worked in the factory or on the farm and died at the age of 68, stooped over, or my ancestor from 10,000 years ago, who uh, slipped and bashed his knee on a rock and died from the infection at age 40. I don't care about what happened to those people. I want to be the best that I can be right now. And if that means that I'm going to go to uh, hormone replacement therapy someday, I need to formulate an open mind about that, especially when we have these track records and the success touted from people that I respect, like Mark Bell, Mark Sisson. Uh, there's a guy that uh, wrote a testosterone replacement Bible book, Jay Campbell, and he makes a strong argument that, hey, once you, uh, you you go in this direction, you're going to feel better, perform better, you're going to have better libido, you're going to look muscular like him. Uh, and that's interesting and compelling to pay attention to. Uh, however, here's the big fork in the road that I am going to strongly uh, try to impress upon you. And that is, I want you to exhaust all possible natural strategies before you even form the thought of bringing in outside intervention into your physiology. Uh, there are many important reasons for this. One of them is that the enjoyment and the appreciation of the process is what life's all about, right? So if you can take uh, some hormone replacement and go and improve your all-time best weightlifting goals that are so important to you, or uh, take some EPO and some testosterone and go uh, ride the, the, the bicycle route or uh, perform in the bicycle competition uh, better than you ever have before. Who cares? It's like uh, the, the process and doing it right and paying close attention to your diet and preparing your foods and, and searching for the very best sources of food, enjoying that whole thing, nourishing yourself optimally, uh, pushing and challenging yourself in the workouts, and recovering to the best of your ability rather than short-circuiting things, that's what I feel gives you the most value regardless of the end result. So could I go onto a hormone replacement regimen and bust out new PRs in the high jump in the 400 meters? Probably so, but I want to do it my way. And speaking of that, I do have competitive aspirations in organized competitions in master's track. And so the idea of going to hormone replacement therapy when I'm still an actual competitor, and probably they put in the rules that you're not allowed. I don't know if they test uh, master's track athletes or not. I think they do a little bit of testing in, for example, the Hawaii Ironman in the age groups because of complaints that have built up over the years that some of these guys who are 50 or 47 or 63 are looking pretty super ripped and going really darn fast. And so they wanted to have some controls in place. But obviously, um, athletes know how to escape detection and put up incredible performances, but to what end? We're not talking about uh, millions of dollars at stake here and, and so forth. So I don't really care if my 
competitors in the old man track meet are doped off their ass and I get seventh instead of the third or second place that I deserved. I mostly want to perform and compete against myself. That's why I don't travel all over to do these master's track meets. I want to do a little bit of that in the future. But for me, like the YouTube, Brad Kern's YouTube high jump invitational is all I need to get completely, uh, you know, excited and satisfied with a uh, a competition against myself, uh, camera rolling in an empty stadium where all I need is a high jump bar and a pit to land in. And that goes directly to uh, the decision whether to try to optimize my performance by another 5% by taking replacement therapy. So right now, I want to urge you to check off every possible attribute you can in your overall dietary practices, your uh, athletic training regimen, your fitness regimen, your sleep habits, your rest recovery, downtime, restoration, and of course, your stress management. And uh, again, back to Liver King and those emails that leak, those private personal emails, whoever the hell leaked them pretty disgraceful scene, but here it is now out and open in the public and he has to address it. Uh, but he was talking about some of those drawbacks uh, that he was experiencing, not being able to sleep well, uh, looking at his um, some of his numbers being suppressed. And it was arguably uh, because of overtraining patterns, uh, you know, overexhausting himself, running these businesses and traveling and being a public figure and trying really hard to build that super strong physique. So it was like a lot of things were out of balance, including the uh, massive intervention with these high levels of performance enhancing drugs, rather than for all of us listening who don't have these extreme circumstances to consider, just tone everything down to the point where you're doing things that you can handle that are age appropriate goals that are rewarding and done uh, correctly and honestly. So uh, I'm going to exhaust all possible basic lifestyle behaviors, practices, and interventions that I can do including, for example, uh, trying out an assortment of supplements and things that I pick and choose from. And then I have my go-tos that are going to be there most likely for the rest of my life. Things like uh, whey protein and creatine. That's why I put them in my B-Rad whey protein superfuel. I think there's tremendous rationale to take in supplement form every single day, enough creatine and enough protein to make sure that your needs are being met through the ebbs and flows of your daily dietary practices. I'm also pretty highly optimized with my daily diet. I know a lot of us are pretty busy, maybe not as dedicated and focused on this stuff. So that would be even more justification for finding a role for performance and nutritional supplements in your daily lifestyle due to the convenience factor. So yes, we see the clean, uh, the purest promoters like Paul Saladino shouting at the camera saying, you don't need a protein supplement. You can get it from eggs and steak. Absolutely right. I completely agree. But if I go down and sneak into your house and look in your fridge and there's no pastured eggs in there and you're running low on grass-fed red meat, that's when we want to get realistic. Uh, we want to get sustainable. And so we can surround ourselves with the convenience of something like a really high quality supplement to know that you're checking off these boxes. Speaking of that, uh, when you're on a hormone replacement regimen, you are essentially overriding a lot of that ebb and flow that becomes such a challenge, especially as we get up into the older age groups. So ah, maybe you had a really busy, stressful week of business travel and you're jet lagged and you got lousy sleep 
and you ate hotel or airplane food, and then you wake up a week later and your numbers are still looking good and you're still feeling strong, alert, and energized, wow, that is a, a compelling and enticing option to not have to optimize everything every day and just know that you're gonna sail along at that pegged level. It's not gonna make you a rip city like Liver King or like Mark Bell or Mike, like Mark Sisson. They have to put in that hard work. It's not like uh, taking uh, performance enhancing drugs or testosterone replacement is magic. And I think that's a point that the public often misses when they look at Liver King and say, oh, he's obviously juiced. Okay, maybe it is obviously an extreme physique, but what's not obvious is how hard the guy trains every single day and how precise his diet is in order to get down to that low body fat level and then leverage all the per, uh, performance advantages offered by the substances. So we have to have both things going here. Same with the Olympic sprinter that gets busted for drugs or Lance Armstrong realizing that his seven Tour de France titles were won with drugs flowing around in his bloodstream. Well, he still had to train five to seven hours a day on the bike and practice the climbs over and over and learn every turn uh, going up Alpe d'Huez uh, and all that stuff that gets negated when we say, oh, they did something that was uh, against the rules. So big picture, uh, please, people, realizing that hormone replacement, perhaps if you're doing everything right, you're going to get that 5 to 10% edge. Uh, is that of interest to me right now? Would I like to get a 5 to 10% edge? Sure, of course I would, but I'm not quite willing to uh, just to, to, to go there in my morality. Uh, and there's no reason to, because I want to be accepting of the uh, condition that I'm in now, uh, the age group and the limitations that I have from my age. But when that day comes, when I'm doing everything that I possibly can, and my blood numbers are not looking good, that's when we're going to sit down and make another video. And I'll tell you all about the interventions that I'm choosing. However, these days, as I've talked about uh, frequently, um, I test my male hormones uh, quite often. You could say I'm obsessed with this, especially as I've been doing the research and development and promoting the male optimization formula with organs product with ancestral supplements. I test constantly. I think I've been tested like 22 times in the last three years. And my serum testosterone numbers have ranged between 550 and 1008 that I put up last year. And of course, proudly, uh, showed that image on social media because uh, it's off the charts in the 99th percentile, even for young people. Uh, but that range of 550 to 1,000, I'd say the average is around 700 for serum testosterone. So by any uh, practical indication, I'm not really a candidate for hormone replacement therapy. I'm still doing okay uh, as my natural self. Interestingly, in contrast, when I was training hard on the professional triathlon circuit, and pretty much suppressing my hormones, suppressing my immune function, and destroying my health in pursuit of incremental performance gains. My serum testosterone landed between 200 and 300. And this was during the decade of my 20s when I'm supposedly at my peak with male hormones. So that's an interesting uh, perspective showing how much performance-enhancing drugs help someone who's training at the highest level. I was trying to train at the highest level naturally, and it was compromising my health and compromising my longevity in a significant way. And so we talk about uh, the PEDs being dangerous to athletes. I would argue if you're a Tour de France rider or you're training uh, at the elite level in professional triathlon or CrossFit games or whatever the most extreme athletes are doing, 
those performance enhancing drugs are possibly minimizing the adverse health consequences of the extreme regimen that you are performing. Same with Liver King. Guy was training his ass off, uh, apparently natural until the dates shown in the leaked emails that he only started doing this stuff in 2021 because he was hanging on by a thread due to the extreme nature of his training regimen. So when I was choosing to be a professional athlete and travel all around the world, talk about stress and jet lag and the, the hormones and the suppression, boy, it would have been really helpful to be shooting up all kinds of drugs into my system so that I could handle the extreme jet travel, the extreme training regimen, the extreme level of competition without falling apart constantly. Um, again, I was competing under the parameters that I thought everyone was dealing with the same thing in terms of jet lag, in terms of the recovery time necessary from uh, competing at these uh, really challenging uh, events with three sports. And so that was uh, that was the world that we were in. But to transcend that, to override that, wow, it's something to think about that you would be uh, less health destructive uh, under a doping regimen. However, even more healthy would be not to be training, traveling, and living at that extreme lifestyle, toning everything down such that you didn't need that intervention. Okay, I think I've made uh, the important points that uh, I wanted to make here, uh, but I think the, um, uh, the big one here is that for those of you in the age groups where you're considering hormone replacement, cut through the bullshit where we've been programmed to think that this is uh, an inherently dangerous thing to do. I think there's plenty of evidence otherwise that it could be, in fact, just promoting a longer, healthier, more active, more resilient, better muscle mass lifestyle. And so um, people are proving and showing this that there's no adverse health consequences. You may have heard the association between testosterone replacement and increased risk of especially prostate cancer that is now being uh, unwound to uh, a little more nuanced where the hormone replacement, the increased testosterone coming into your body could exacerbate existing cancers, not just uh, prostate, but other areas of the body. Other than that, um, it arguably, and there's off, uh, scientific evidence and, and thoughts from the great leaders on this topic too, not just me popping off, arguably pegging your hormones could make you stronger and more resilient against the decline, the demise, the sarcopenia, that's the loss of muscle mass related to aging, all those things that are risks for cancer, heart disease, and other insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, other signs of falling apart, getting old, and dying. Um, so, boy, that kind of throws things on, uh, on its ear in a lot of ways when we're uh, being averse to hormone replacement uh, by the by the call of um, uh, minimizing our cancer risk. Uh, for example, my father, Walter, who um, lived to be the age of 97, he was diagnosed with prostate cancer at the age of 84. So he was given anti-androgenic drug regimen. So that would be testosterone suppressing drugs for 12 years until near the end of his life. And I would argue that that regimen hastened his demise it's great to make it to 97. I thought he was a guy that was on track to go to 107. Uh, but in order to control that cancer and keep it contained, uh, because once prostate cancer leaves the, the, the prostate area, um, it can spread to the bones. It can be a really bad deal. 
um, almost all men over age 80, 80% of men over 80 will develop prostate cancer in their life. For many of them, it's not fatal because it is contained. And then their life expectancy isn't that long. So in my dad's case, I believe when he was starting to get dosed at age 84, the idea was to just contain this without surgical intervention or radiation or things that could disturb an older patient and just let him live out his golden years. I don't think there was a prediction that he was going to take this stuff for a dozen years. And when you're taking anti-androgenic drugs for a dozen years, that's going to harm his efforts to, for example, maintain energy, muscle mass, strength, power, things that would help promote lifespan. He actually did a pretty darn good job on all those levels, was playing golf at a high level despite his drug regimen, but I can't say it was a health-boosting attribute to have to take that stuff for that long a period of time. And interestingly, uh, right near his end, there was amazing research coming out from Johns Hopkins Medical School, his alma mater as it happened. Uh, He was a physician. And the research showed that uh, a group of patients in the advanced stages of prostate cancer were dosed with high levels of testosterone replacement and had positive outcomes. And so in other words, giving that increased strength and male hormone, putting that into the body, the opposite of the treatment protocol that my dad underwent, the the traditional treatment protocol for prostate cancer for people in that age group, doing the opposite actually had a beneficial effect Of course, it was too late to try and delve and and depart 180 from the traditional medical protocol, but it's an interesting insight to take away. And we're probably going to see things like this coming up more in the years ahead where optimizing hormones is going to promote that healthy, active, energetic life, provided you do your part with all those checkpoints, diet, exercise, sleep, rest and recovery, stress management, and so forth. Okay, I hope that gives you a uh, healthier, bigger picture perspective about abusing performance-enhancing drugs versus doing a a therapeutic dose, hormone replacement uh, in search of health optimization and longevity and all the various factors at play. Oh, by the way, if you decide to take a shortcut, forget about all those lifestyle checkpoints. I'm too busy. I just want to go get some Uh, go get a needle and feel better with a big uh, testosterone uh, program, Uh, there is a downside risk uh, of aromatizing the agent. That means converting testosterone into estrogen. That happens when you are in an unhealthy inflammatory state as evidenced by the accumulation of a spare tire that's called visceral fat, extra fat around the belly, which is so common among males in the older age groups. So if you are showing signs of systemic inflammation by virtue of the accumulation of abdominal fat, that's showing that your your health attributes are not optimal and you get additional testosterone, your body will convert it into estrogen and you will be worse off than not doing anything. So the only justification for someone who's not already in pretty good health and fitness level to try a a needle hormone replacement is to give a temporary boost so that you will have the energy to get off your ass and start doing some exercise, start doing some resistance training, start walking or jogging around the block or something to change your chemistry from, uh, you know, diseased and and sedentary and uh, suboptimal inflamed to someone who has that fighting chance to go on through life, maintaining a healthy level of functional muscle mass and getting that visceral fat off the body. So it's almost, uh, it's akin to my friend who's a um, 
a plastic surgeon tells people to get down to your best look and then come in and we will do the tummy tuck or other interventions, but not before that, it doesn't make any sense. So the same thing for those of us considering hormone replacement therapy, do absolutely the best you can on every level before we even start talking about it. And I'm going to check back in five years because I'm going to keep going strong for now. Thank you so much for listening, watching, and sharing this show. We'd love to hear from you. Love to hear your results, perhaps, if you want to share uh, one way or the other, if you're on hormone replacement or you have strong feelings about it. So podcast at bradventures.com. I want to discuss the incredible benefits of red light therapy and how you can get started with Mito Red Light. Mito, like mitochondria, red light makes the premier light therapy devices in the world and at incredibly affordable prices. I stand in front of my Mito Pro 1500 unit every morning, carefully exposing my eyeballs, other important balls, and my entire body to special wavelengths of red and near empty for red light. When I tell people about my daily devotion to red light therapy, they typically ask, does this stuff really work? And the answer is yes. And there are thousands of studies supporting its effectiveness. Here's how. It's called photobiomodulation where specific wavelengths of red and near-infrared light, red's visible, near-infrared is not visible, that's why it looks like only half of your panel's working, these wavelengths help mitochondria in cells throughout your body produce more energy and clear waste products more efficiently. Red light exposure helps mobilize nitric oxide trapped in the mitochondria and allows oxygen to return to the cell and increase ATP production. The benefits are proven again and again for skin health, muscle recovery, joint pain, and numerous inflammatory conditions. Red light therapy is also beneficial for circadian rhythm alignment because we generally get far too little direct sunlight and too much indoor blue light from screens and light bulbs at the wrong times. You don't hear much about this benefit of red light therapy, but when I turn on those lights, first thing in the morning. As soon as I wake up, I walk across the hall, I stand in front of the panels, and I feel instantly awake and energized. And believe me, there's a lot of days where Mr. Health Guy here wakes up feeling a little groggy and a little whiny, like I don't want to right get up now and get into my morning exercise routine. But when I stand in front of the lights, in one minute, I swear I feel wide awake. I get all that grogginess out naturally. It's super powerful, super effective, besides all the healing and the cellular benefits. I also love it for being a natural wake-up machine. You have to try red light therapy. I am certain that you will become a devoted user. And guess what? Mito Red Light offers a 60-day no-risk trial period and a special 5% discount for BRAD podcast listeners. Just visit mitoredlight, M-I-T-O, redlight.com, and use the code BRAD on any of their products. Go for it today and get started on your red light journey. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkearns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. 
You can also download several awesome free ebooks when you subscribe to the email list. And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, be rad.